Welcome to the Soulless Church Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Our passion as a church community is to see Jesus at the center of all things. For more sermon content and information, check out soullesschurch.com. Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Uh, let's thank Maddie. Thanks, Maddie, for doing that. Well, this morning, uh, it is a real privilege and honor for me to uh, get a Sunday off by introducing um, this uh, special guest speaker that we have today. We have Pastor Billy Venezia with us from Calvary Chapel, Chattanooga. Billy, why don't you come on up? Yeah, let's give Billy a hand as he's coming up. Let's give him a warm icon welcome. A warm, warm, yeah, you know, yeah. Your, your trademark welcome. Yes. So, Billy's a good friend um, of, of mine, and I don't just mean that like in a, um, you know, like a brother way. We're Christian brothers. Like, no, we're friends. Like, we goof off way, way more than mm-hmm. we should. Um, but also, he, he is that, um, as I was thinking about just what I'm praying for, we talked about this this morning, for this morning, as Billy's coming to bring the word, uh, I was just thinking about how the Lord has used Billy in my life as a brother, as a friend, as an example. Um, and I think of the, the word just uh, strengthen and strengthening. Uh, Billy was very instrumental in a season of my life where I was unsure of whether or not God was calling me to start a church. And it was because of friends like Billy uh, that uh, we, my wife and I and our family, we really sensed just the wind of God at our backs to pursue what he was calling us to do. And just a reminder, this is why it's so important to be in community, Mm -hmm. to be known, to walk with Jesus together. uh, Because there's just a strength that you get out of a friendship that you can't get anywhere else. Mm -hmm. And so, um, now I I say that for myself, that Billy's been a brother who's strengthened my hand in the Lord, whether it's in ministry and in family and and just life. But this is also what I've been praying uh, for this morning as Billy's going to share the word. I believe this is... This is trademark of Billy's ministry, is Billy has a ministry of encouragement, a ministry of strengthening, a ministry of of lifting up the people of God into what God is calling them to do, lifting their heads to see who God is. And so here's my prayer, brother, as as you come into the word here. I just want to pray Paul's prayer over our time out of Ephesians chapter 3. Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knees to the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and on earth is named. And here's what I pray, that God would grant grant you, Solus Church, according to the riches of his glory through our brother Billy here, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. That's my prayer for our time together. Let's welcome Billy again. Yes. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Love you, man. Thank you, everyone. It really is an honor to be here. It really is. I don't just say that because sometimes you feel like you have to say that. That's definitely not the case here. Uh, I see many of you in this room that I haven't even been able to say hello to. Uh, We lived here, my wife, Michelle, and my three kids, we lived here for 20-something years, and 
About four years ago, the Lord called us to Chattanooga, Tennessee. So we traded in the ocean for mountains. I traded in, you know, Jordan Air Ones for cowboy boots. They're incredibly uncomfortable, but we're getting there slowly but surely. And um, it's just an honor to be here and to see you all here. And some of you have had such a deep impact in my life. Um, even just seeing Pastor Fidel and Teresa right there, just a surprise. Just for, thank you for being here. But uh, I'm excited about our time here. You have your Bibles open uh, to Psalm uh, chapter 23. And as your pastor said, who, um, I, real quick, I've been able to see the birth and the nurturing of solace since the beginning. And uh, I'll tell you this, you, your greatest pastor is Jesus, but you got a real good pastor. We have conversations, we share concerns, and his goal is to nurture this bride that God has entrusted him with. And that is not an easy thing, especially in a, in a world today where everyone has an opinion about the bride, how we should dress the bride, how we should lead the bride. But what is God calling to do in this wonderful, wonderful gathering? I, I'm telling you, you're in good hands. You're in really good hands. Psalm 23, as, you, as we open to this, is, is a wonderful psalm. I, I refer to the psalms as the, within the books of the scriptures, within the, within the books of the scriptures, the psalms are like that extra medicinal cabinet. There's something that God has for each emotion, thought, season. And if you're navigating or tend to be a person who's given to high emotion like David, then this is a place where your soul can rest. This is a place where your confusion can be calmed. This is the book of the Psalms. It was the song book of Israel. These Psalms were sung out loud. This was a declaration and a celebration of the history of God. And within the 150 chapters, there's this wonderful little trilogy that takes place in Psalm 22 23 and 24 that refer to the Messiah. Uh, psalm 22 is, is about this. It's a messianic psalm, and it talks about uh, th that the Messiah, and we, and we get insight to the crucifixion. In fact, it's the only chapter where we get an insight to what Jesus was actually failing on the cross. So Psalm 22 is about the cross. Psalm 23 is about the crook. Now, that's not a thief. That's not the thief, you know, crucified next to him. No, the crook is the staff. And you know, at the end of a staff, you see this big hook. Well, that's called the, the crook. And the crook is used to gather and to guide and to navigate the sheep through whatever the shepherd is leading them. And then Psalm 24 essentially is, talks about the crown. And essentially, these three psalms talk about the one who was, the one who is, and the one who who is to come. We, ha we have here a psalm of David, and most people suggest that David is writing, no, not in the youthful, innocent sheepfold that he once stood and served, but now we find him as, a, he's an older man. He's gone through some things. He's gone through some battles. He's gone through some failures. He's well aware of his shortcomings with Bathsheba and is one of his best friends, his mighty men, in fact, Uriah. He understands that he's not had a good family life. Uh, he walks with a limp. He walks with some scars from some battles. And, and now he's going to tell us and share with us 
some of the wisdom he has gleaned. It is by far, I would submit to you, uh, the most popular psalm of all of the psalms and maybe even the most popular chapter in the Bible. Uh, this psalm alone has soothed uh, many a people before their last words into eternity, has soothed the souls of soldiers dying on the battlefield, hospitals filled with those who are passing away. Spurgeon says, it has charmed, I like that, it has charmed more griefs than any of the philosophies of the world combined. Um, and remember, and, and, and here's the thing about Psalm chapter 23. Uh, you know, it, it's so popular that um, it, it's, it's read at almost every funeral. I mean, there are people who passed into eternity who didn't, didn't even know Jesus. But there was the reading of Psalm 23 in their last moments here on earth. It's much like, uh, you know, it's much like uh, uh, people getting married. You know, you know, this is like for kids right now. There's probably some kids right now at some point in the life of Solus where they're going to teach Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And kids are going to run out and go, Mom, Dad, we learned about the, the shepherd. And they, and they don't even know what it means yet. But they haven't experienced really good life. They just know of a good shepherd. And it's kind of like I, I just did a wedding this past Thursday. It's kind of like having two people who are getting married before you and they're exchanging vows. But you know they have no idea what these vows mean yet. I take you, I take you, and good and bad, and sickness and health, and I'm going through it, and you know what I know? They're like, buddy, we're burning right now. Just get us through this whole process. I want to kiss her, I want to have a reception, and I want to start this whole journey. But that's the song, that, that's where we, we, we could be at, some of us. We're, we're just coming in. We don't really, we haven't really experienced a, a lot of this, but we know we're being made aware of this wonderful, wonderful great shepherd. And then he says right here, uh, Maddie read it, so I, I'm not going to feel the need to read the whole thing in its entirety. But, but make your eyes with me. Psalm 23, verse 1. David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want your attention. I, I want you to notice that in your Bibles, you'll see it, the, the word Lord is capitalized. And in that, we have the compound meanings of the names of God within this word and within this chapter alone. For instance, I shall not want. There's a reference to Jehovah, Jehovah Jireh. God, God will provide. God will provide. Some of you are here right now where you need a provision in your life. Where you go, man, I need God to provide something in my life. He says, I shall, um, I shall, excuse me, he restores my soul. Jehovah Roth, the Lord will restore Still waters is mentioned, Jehovah Shalom. Some of you right now are in this room. You say, man, I just need some peace in my life. I just need peace. I just need calmness in my life. Uh, for some, uh, he leads us into paths of righteousness. Jehovah Tzidkenu, the Lord of righteousness, the Lord, our righteousness. My shepherd, he is my shepherd, my friend, Jehovah Ra, the Lord is my shepherd and my friend. Essentially, uh, every meaning that God is and who he is through the names of God. Jesus says in John chapter 10, he said, I am the good shepherd and I lay my life down for the sheep. So essentially in this psalm, fulfilled in the life of Christ, Jesus is saying to us that he is everything that you and I are gonna need. Whatever your season is right now, whether it's a season where you need deep, deep provision, uh, maybe it's 
uh, a season where you need deep, deep healing, a season where you just need the, the friendship of Jesus, the shepherding of Jesus. He's all here. He's enclosed. Jesus says, I am the fulfillment. I am that great shepherd. In fact, Hebrews goes on to say, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. Hebrews says he's the great shepherd. He is the great shepherd. And you notice in this verse, it's a personal thing. If you look at the first few words, you notice that David does not say uh, the Lord is the shepherd of the world. He does not say the Lord is a shepherd. He said the Lord is my shepherd. It's personal. And the question for you this morning is, well, can you say the same thing? When you come in here, can you say the same thing? Because if you can say that, then here's what you're saying. The Lord is the Lord of my life. He owns me. You see, sheep were some of the first domesticated animals. You don't find sheep. They're not wild animals anymore. Why are they not wild animals? Well, they're, they're now owned. They're stewarded. You see a shepherd. You see a sheep. And now that, that sheep is following that shepherd. Why? Because a sheep cannot learn, could not live in the wild. So there's a sense of ownership. So you say that. You say, well, yeah, he's my shepherd. Okay, well, God owns you. Now, there may be some here today where you go, well, I know. I, maybe he is my shepherd. I kind of act like he's my shepherd sometimes. I don't know about you. But God wants you to say personally and powerfully and with assurance to go, no, he's, he, he's, he's my shepherd. He's not Solus' shepherd. Uh, he's not my parents' shepherd. You know, maybe some of you are coming out of your, you know, you've just been raised a Christian. And mom and dad have done a great job. But there comes a point in your life that you've got to make the decisions to say the Lord is my shepherd. So David is recalling this is, a, this is there's an allegory here. He was once a shepherd. He was once a boy before he was a king. He was just a shepherd boy that didn't even make the roll call when they were looking to anoint the next king of Israel. And he says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not want. Now, I don't know about you, but when I read this, I had a, I had a little bit of a problem with the verse. Why? Well, because I have plenty of wants. I've got a lot of wants that have not been fulfilled. So what is it? Are we if, if, if I want, am I wrong? God, if I want this, I'm well, well, sometimes I am wrong. Why? Because what I want for me, God doesn't want for me. That's the truth. And some things that I want are not the best for me. And so therefore, God says, no, no, we, we got a different plan. It's a different plan. It's almost a, a personal uh, commitment to, to contentment. You know, Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, in all these things, in good and in bad, with much and with I have learned to be content. Contentment is a very, it's unnatural. It is a learning process. Right now, God has you doing something, or he's called you to something, or he's going to call you to something, where you go, I don't know if I'm content. God's got you in a place right now where you go, I'm just, I, this is not my plan for me. We got to choose contentment. We got to choose contentment. But you still got these wants, like I have these wants. They don't go away. They don't go away. You think David wanted a relationship with Absalom after he dropped the ball? Yeah, he did. You think Moses wanted to stay with his mother and when he's an older man, oh, man, I wish I was with my mother again? Yeah, he probably did. 
You think, you think Joseph, when he was in the prison or he was in the well, or even when he was prime minister, thought, man, if I could just have my brothers back, I really want that. Now, some of those things, especially in the life of Joseph, came to happen. For some, it didn't. But here's the point, is that the good shepherd has the ability to manage you in this season. That's what he is. He's a shepherd. He cares about you. He's got a rod, and he's got the crook, and he's going to navigate you by the neck sometimes. He's going to direct you from the back. He's going to lead you from the front into a place where you just go, Lord, I have these wants. I have these wants, and I have, you know my heart, Lord. You said that if I delight myself in you, that you will give me the desires of your heart. And now listen, God's going to navigate you through the season, even though the want may be driving you in this season. So David says, the Lord, he's mine. He's my shepherd. He's my caregiver. He's my pastor. I shall not be in want. I'm going to purpose to be content in a season where I may be lacking or he may be calling me. He says here, verse 2, he says, he makes me. You could circle the word makes right, right next to it. It's in the continual tense. Continual tense. He says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me behind, beside the still waters. It's re- really interesting. He, he uses the word, he make me. He, there's a cause. He causes the sheep to lay down. He causes them to stop. Not by force. Not by force. Why? Because they're one of the most anxious animals on the planet. There's an anxiety the, shepherd, the sheep have. There's a fearfulness that the sheep have. And it's not easy for them to lie down. They're almost always, they're always afraid of something. They're always afraid of something on the outside and something on the inside. And there's two really important things a shepherd needs to be aware of in order for the sheep to find some type of rest to actually lay down. It's kind of funny. Uh, You know, the Bible refers to us as sheep, Isaiah 53, 6. We are all like sheep. We've gone astray. God, David is building this allegory, shepherd sheep. Jesus is the shepherd. You and I are the sheep. And we probably, some in this room, you go, man, I, I would love to lay down. I would love to have an unanxious soul. I would love to stop what I'm doing. I'm either, I'm either a taxi service for my family or I'm working a lot. And now since COVID, I'm doing even more. I'm doing something that I didn't even know. Like I'm doing something new, which requires more of me. I'm on my phone. I've got emails. And, and he says, he makes, he makes you and me from time to time just just pause. He makes us to lay down in green pastures. And there's two really important things that a shepherd needs to do. Number one, he's got to remove all the fear from the outside. If you've ever seen a sheep, it's just always, you know, meh, it's you know, it bends down, it jumps up, it's, it, it's always on the move, it's always looking around, it bends down, it, it eats, and then, it, 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 and, and so the shepherd looks around and goes, are there any predators? There's such a vulnerable, what's the, what's the predatory fear around here? And, he, and the shepherd removes that. But what's interesting is there's just as much fear on the inside of the flock than there is on the outside of the flock. There's actually a pecking order. There's a hierarchical structure within the pecking order of the flock. So when the ewe lamb comes in, which is the female, she sends a message to the whole flock. And what it calls it, it's called friction. And they bump into each other. And when they bump into each other, they're also, they're all of a sudden just a little jumpy. They don't ease. And do you know when they all, when the sheep are at total peace? 
when the shepherd stands in the midst of the sheep? What's the point for you and I? Well, the point for you and I is God's going to remove. You may be dealing with some fear on the outside, but you could also deal with fear on the inside. And sometimes that fear is even in the church. It's the contest. Well, how do you dress? Well, I'm dressing pretty good. You see how they're dressed? I think they're, I think they're dressed a little different. We're going to come back next week and updress them. I will not be outdressed. You see where they sit? You see how they worship? And it's just a, you know, everyone, you know, you come together and, and this is supposed to be the house of humility, but we're human. And, and so there's sometimes a contest, even within the friendships. And, and then there's friction. Uh, you know, that saying, that person rubbed me the wrong way. You know, th- there's some friction. And, and what happens? Well, when, when, when Jesus is honored here and the word is opened and the Holy Spirit, what happens? That just goes away. Why? Because we pause because Jesus is present. It starts to rebuke that. It rebukes the pride in us. It rebukes. The, the self-centeredness in us. So the shepherd now has everyone. He stands in the midst. He's got them laying down. And then he says, uh, we're, we're going to be, I'm going to bring them beside the still waters. Now water was, de- was, was difficult for a sheep, especially with the rapids of the Jordan. It was just, there was a, this movement of water and, and the sheep, they're, they're, they're top heavy. They fall over real easy. And you do that in water. That's really difficult. But there was a few ways. Number one, uh, he, sa- he says he leads me behind the still waters. Number one, uh, they, would, they would find their hydration through the morning dew. The, sh- the shepherd would wake up early. You notice if they're in, in rich grass, they could just keep eating without drinking. Why? Because of the dew that is on the grass. So they're getting hydrated through the, the eating of the grass, which is insightful for you and I. Because... The shepherd raises up the sheep early in the morning. And you may be in a dry season right now. The Bible says that Moses met with God early that morning. Jesus woke up. Maybe for you it's a season where you're like, man, this is the extent of your Bible exposure. And God's saying, no, no, as a sheep and a shepherd, I want you to know me because I know you. I want you to hear my voice through the word. And when you get up early in the morning, what do you find yourself? You're being hydrated through the word of God. Oh, then he'll take them to a deep well. The, the shepherd's fields. And there's these wells where they lower the buckets. And the shepherd's got to work a little deeper, a little harder. And he's pulling up this water so that he could satisfy. It could be in your life right now, God's going deep with you. He's sending the well of his word and his spirit deep within your soul right now. And he's pulling out things that you don't want him to pull out. You think of the woman in the well, John chapter 4. She was on the verge of the greatest public disclosure of all time and yet became the first, what we know, the first evangelist to the Samaritan people. Why? Because he said, he looks at her as a well. He's calling out something in her life that she had become complacent and trapped in. And then she says, come, I think I found someone. I think I found the Messiah. He's told me everything about me. And then lastly, a shepherd, what he would do is because the rapids would be so rapid and he didn't want to lose the sheep because if the ewe goes in, everyone follows and takes them downstream. He, he gets a bunch of rocks and he builds a pool. He just builds a pool. And then they could just, while the, 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 the flow of life, while the, the rapids are going down, he just builds a pool and there they are just in the, this smooth glass-like place just eating right next to all the noise. How many of us need to be just quieted, just soothed by the busyness and everything that's going on. 
all your emotions that have got you jacked up and confused, all of the challenges that you're dealing with right now, all of the health issues you're dealing with right now. He's going to build a pool. I think of the disciples on the, on the, on the Galilee. It's just, they're at their wit's end. They wake up Jesus as if he's not doing his fair share of getting the water out of the boat. Like, do you even care about what's going on? Do you even, do you know what's happening? He says, hold on, I got this. Be still. There's that calmness. Some of us right now, next to the noise of our life right now, just need a pool of calmness. That's what he does. That's who he is. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He's making me lay down. He's, he's causing me to press pause. He leads me behind the still waters. And he says in verse 3, he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Uh, namesake, excuse me. Uh, th that word restores. Uh, if you're a King James person, uh, that's the restoreth. It's still doing it. It doesn't stop. The pastoral care of ministry, Jesus' pastoral care of ministry doesn't stop. It doesn't stop. He's always doing it. So this verse tells you and me that our souls, so I just, you know, I went through a season where I did a deep dive with me and, you know, just, I felt like the Lord was calling some things out of me and into me and build into me. And so I went on a deep dive with, the, you know, the caring of the soul. What is the soul? Because you say with someone, well, tell me about the soul. And they'll go, well, uh, well, I guess the, it's there, but I don't know. And, it, it's one, it, and it's biblically explained here, but yet it's the most unseen part of us. It's the seed of our emotions. It's when our spirit and emotions come together. He says, uh, you, he restores my soul, which is interesting because over half of the Psalms, listen, over half of the Psalms are Psalms of lamentation, sorrow. Lamentation was a practice in the nation of Israel. Why? Because when you are broken before God, you tend to remember and remind yourself how much need you have. But when everything's always good and nothing's ever broken, what happens? We, we dismiss God until something breaks. We come back to God. So over half the Psalms are Psalms of Lamentation, which means there's a good chance that half of this room is dealing with some type of lament, some type of sorrow. He says, he restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Here's the truth of this verse. I may be broken. I will fail. I have failed. But Jesus restores Aren't you glad that's the story of your life too? You have failed in the past and you have seen the ministry and the help and the, the love of God. He restores your soul. This is, a, this is a guy who is broken. This is a man who was broken and will continue to be broken. He made a mistake with Bathsheba, like I said. The betrayal of a good friend named Ahithophel, that was hard for him. Absalom, that was a problem. Getting rocks thrown at you by a guy named Doeg. Even though his name was Doeg, that's still embarrassing. Doeg's throwing rocks at you. Everyone knows of what you did. He's saying, hey, I know he restores my soul. And Andrew alluded to it. And you know what I love? David's last words after all of his ups and downs, all of his failures, all of his victories, all of his losses, he writes off as the sweet psalmist of Israel. Not the adulterer. 
not the liar, not the murderer, not the corrupt general. He says, I'm the sweet psalmist of Israel. Why? Because God has been sweet. Some of you right now are in the midst of a failure, and that may not be known by anyone, but he knows. And you repent well. You repent well, and you bear fruit, like John the Baptist said, in, in its season. You'll see the goodness of God in the land of the living. You'll, say, you'll be able to say, he restores. I made a mistake, he restored it. I dropped the ball. Some marriages, you made a mistake in the marriage. God's going to bring the marriage back. You go, look, he restores even the things I screw up. Aren't we so glad that there is a continual care, there is a continual grace for falling, not for jumping. So maybe even today, you may find yourself cast down several times the My soul is cast down. David writes several, I think it's Psalm 42. Why is my soul cast down? David's talking to himself. Why is my soul cast down within me? And a cast sheep means they're on their back and they they can't get back up straight. And the good shepherd comes with the crook and with his hands and says, no, let me set you back up. Let me get you right back. Let's get you back in the fold. Let's get you healthy again. He says, he restores my, my, my soul and he's leading me in a path. Right now, God is leading you in a path of righteousness. That word path of righteousness means the old proven ways. He's been doing it for millennia. And the world right now is looking for the new way. Well, how do we, how do, we do something new? How do we, how do we get people uh, how do we restore people the new way and, and this way and that way? And there, Jesus, I, I've done it in the old paths, the old proven paths. I've been doing this forever. I've been stewarding souls for so long. And he's going to continue to do it. So right now, God may have you in a season where, you know, maybe you're in the where you need restoration or you've received restoration. Well, now he's like, he leads me. Now, it's a different word than what he says. He leads me um, uh, by the still waters. This is he's actually going to pull you a little bit. It's actually, there's actually going to be a little, a little push, a little prod, a little pull. And now he's going to lead you in a path of righteousness. And it's going to be the good path. It's going to be the righteous path. He's going to do the right thing with you. And you don't know it. You don't sense it. You don't understand it. And you want all the data. You want all. You don't want to use any faith. And he's saying, no, 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 by faith, I'm going to lead you. Why? This is the old proven path. I've been doing this forever. If I can navigate, if I can navigate Joseph out of a well and out of a prison and into prime ministership, what can I do with you? If I could navigate Moses the baby through just some pitch and some reed to make him the deliverer of Israel, what can he do with you? It's really important when, um, when when a shepherd's leading a sheep you know, he, he knows them all. Well, you know, one time we were, we were in Israel, one of our first trips to Israel. And, um, you know, Israel is wonderful. Uh, sorry. It's absolutely incredible. It is a life-changing trip. I, uh, you know, with, with in the Muslim faith, you know, going to Mecca is like a tenant and going, you know, like a pilgrimage. I believe that if there should be a pilgrimage and a tenant of the Christian faith that's go to Israel because it'll change your life. So, but, but you go there and you go, oh man, this is what we think is Golgotha and it looks like a skull and you go, man, this is incredible. And then you go, there's a bus station here and you go, I don't, well, at least they got a good view. I don't, I mean, it just doesn't make sense. But, but, and then you go into the shepherd's fields and who do you think's hanging around in the shepherd's fields? 
well, a bunch of, sh- bunch of shepherds. And then they come up to you and they go, hey, welcome to Israel. And you know, it's beautiful. You want to pet my sheep? And you pet the sheep. And then they say, okay, that'll be $5. You're like, you want to bill me? But then, but, but one time we met, we met this young boy. He was leading sheep. And, and it was awesome because they're, they're like the ultimate pet lovers. They'd be like, oh, you see that? That's Vivian. I don't even know if I'm doing the accent right, all right? But just, I may probably sound more Swiss than I do Arab. But it's like, oh, that's Vivian. She's stubborn. She's mad at me. And this is little Eli. He, oh, he's so, he, he, he does everything. He's jump. He's excited when we get up, when we go down in the path or in by the water. What is, they, they know, he knows each individual name. He knows your name. He doesn't say, when you get to heaven, he doesn't say, hey, this is flock. Flock. Father, because of me, flock is good. No. No, no, no. He knows you. He knows everything about you. He knows what's best for you. And that's the implication of Psalm 23, you know. There's this, there's this understanding that the sheep doesn't really know what's best for them, but the shepherd does. So he says he leads them into a path of, uh, of righteousness. Verse 4, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Um, that word really translated shadow of death is, 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 is really literally deep darkness. Deep darkness. And I want you to notice, you know, 17 times in this, 17 times in this psalm, it's referred to as he. 13 times it's referred to me. A lot of theologians refer to this as the he and me psalm. He and me. But now the verse changes. The, the context changes. It goes from he, he's telling us about the shepherd. Now he's talking to the shepherd. He says, now it goes from he and me, it goes uh, to you and I. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. God is always closer to us in our trials. Doesn't it seem like that? You call on the name of the Lord like you never called on him before. You plead, you cry, you ask for favor, you just want to, and, you, and you're, you're, you're totally yielded to the outcome. You're not trying to manipulate it. You know what you'd love to see, but Lord, whatever you want to do with me in this, in this situation, I, I'm in a press right now, but you, I, I got to trust you in this. I, I've got to let you lead me because you're, you're with me and you know, and there's a closeness there. He knows exactly how to care for you. And it's a shadow. Notice it's a shadow. You ever bumped into a shadow? No. You ever been bit by the shadow of a dog? No. You ever been stabbed by the shadow of a sword? No. It's just a shadow. It's enough to make you afraid. Shadows shouldn't stop us. But shadows should remind us of our ever-present need of God, of Jesus. And you, you've probably heard it said in the past, where, you know, where there's a shadow, there's what? There's light. Shadows don't exist without light. Why? So the, the, even that, take that as a personal application. God is still there. Now, does it mean that, you know, 
trials are going to go away because we follow Jesus? No. In fact, we feel like the trials have increased. Why? Because you're deciding to live rightly and godly in in the present age, as the book of Titus talks about. And you go, man, this is hard. It wasn't hard to stay pure before. Why? Because I didn't care about purity before. It's, man, it's hard to stay righteous and be a person of integrity. Why? Because your words didn't matter and nothing mattered then. But now you're trying to live the the narrow life and you go, yeah, it's so much harder. I signed up for this. It's just a shadow. It's the valley of the shadow of death. And here's the thing. He says, I'm not going to fear for you're with me. Now, there um, there is rational fear and there is irrational fear. Rational fear I'm going to stop at the red light, right? We're going to go to the red light. We're going to stop. Why? You don't stop. You're going to get T-boned and you're going to die. So you stop. You know, a, a, a rational fear. If I die, I want my family to be taken care of. So I get insurance. You get insurance. You get car insurance. You get life insurance. You get all these insurances. Why? Because, because you, want to, you want just irrational fear. Man, if I get in that car, I just put my seatbelt on. I think I'm going to die. Well, wait a minute. I think uh, I, if I even just, uh, irrational fear, uh, and what, what starts to happen? For some of us, the journey between rational fear and irrational fear is like this. And you know all it takes for you to get there? Just waking up. You just wake up. And there's fear just there sitting there across the room waiting for you. And you know what happens? The human mind goes into, have you heard fight or flight? Fight or flight. Some of you right now, you suffer with anxiety. You suffer with fear. You suffer with depression. Even being in a room this big, it's very difficult for you, but you've done it. You've taken a step. That's a good thing. But fight or flight is, right now, all the adrenaline is, is in your body is working against you, and you either, you either have to stick it out and go nuts, or you've got to run. But, but, but what does the psalm teach us? The psalm teaches us that we can walk. God is so good, we can walk. Even though there's going to be shadows, even though there's going to be trials close by, even though you're walking through it right now, he says, you're going to be able to walk. Why? Because the shepherd's walking. The shepherd's walks. Because the shepherd understands what's the greatest need. So the shepherd's going to lead the sheep to walk. And he says, Jesus, you're going to walk me through this. Some of us are going, I wish you'd walk around it. How did you even lead me here? Why are we even here? I didn't... He's like, oh, wait, confusion, take it out, fear, take it out. If you want to read a great book, um, Spiritual Depression by Martin Lloyd-Jones, It's Causes and It's Cures. Because if you didn't know David, you would think David's going through something all the time, right? Oh, Lord, you know, thank you for all things. But by the way, punch the teeth out of my enemy, trample them, kill them all. And Lord, you're so good. You'd be like, wow, this is a really interesting case study. (laughs) And so many times, like I said, uh, my soul is cast out. Why? If you didn't know, if I took out the verses and I said, what do you think this person's going through? Why is my soul? You'd say, man, they're really talking to themselves. They're really going through something. And one of the things Martin Lloyd-Jones talks about, he says, you know, you know your brain, and I'm not a neurologist. If you're a neurologist, I'm not trying to be you. Um, but your brain, 
is familiar with a lot of voices, but you know whose voice your brain knows the best? Yours. And you don't even have to speak out loud. You get locked up just thinking. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, stop listening to your brain and start talking to your brain with the word of God. Maybe you suffer from fear. Maybe you suffer from anxiety. Maybe you suffer from relational inferiority. You're always the, oh, I can't do that, or I'm the, I'll never be good, and they're always better than me, and you, you're never comfortable in a space with people. You talk, and you go, okay, I'm going to take those thoughts. I'm going to cast those aside. I'm going to talk my brain through the word of God. It is provenly, it is clinically tested and true that when the word of God is talked to our brain, there is a sense of calmness, there is a sense of we get our cerebral thinking back, and we just are able to take steps. I'm not saying you're going to run a marathon tomorrow by him saying, if you could take that step, he's with you in that step. He says, uh, verse 5 and then verse 6, Andrew, how, about five minutes? I don't even know. I'm just, you just go like that. Okay, good. We, we got two verses. Um, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runneth, runneth over. You prepare a table. Uh, the word table, you could circle, write bounty. And the word prepare, you can write foresight. Foresight. So is, there's this full and bountiful foresight that God provides. This is the, I mean, he prepares the table. This is the ultimate verse. Like this is, Jesus knew about prepared foods before we did. <laughs> that was so bad. Good thing you don't have two services. Well, actually it's probably, anyway. He says that, that you prepare a table that is bountiful. You prepare a table, you see it, and it's in the presence of the enemies. He didn't remove the enemies. He didn't remove them. He showed you that you could be bountiful and that you can, he's got foresight for you, that he could set a table for you in the presence of your enemies. That's awesome because the enemy also sees, man, there's provision. Man, the way this person is provided for, the way they're handling and carrying themselves, man, there's great provision, there's great foresight in the presence of problems. He says, God, you're you're caring for me. My problems are not gone, but you care for me. And I'm able to experience the bounty. Real quick, Joseph had two boys, Manasseh and Ephraim. And Ephraim was at the end of his, while, actually, while he's going through problems still, he names um, Manasseh. And Manasseh means, you've allowed me to forget the wounds of my father's house. And some of us need to forget the wounds of our upbringing in our father's house. And then he says about Ephraim, I have learned to be bountiful in the land of affliction. You've allowed me to forget these things. You've allowed me to grow over these things. You've allowed, you, Lord, you know the foresight. I don't know the present problem. I just know what my moment right now, it feels like it's never going to end. It's, I'm never going to be free from this. I'm never going to walk in victory. No, you are. You will. Why? Because your shepherd is victorious. 
There's no orphan here. He cares for you. He loves you. He died for you. He resurrected for you. And he sits at the right hand for you. The, the scriptures tell us he prays for you. So you could be bountiful. But you've got to have, a, you've gotta have an eternal perspective. That's why your knowledge and exposure to the word needs to be healthy and strong. Or else you're just going to go on a ride ups and downs and ups and downs, and you are going to become one tired saint. And then he says, closing, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. As Charles Spurgeon says, we are well escorted with a shepherd in front, and behind us we are escorted with the guardian angels of goodness and mercy. Goodness and mercy shall follow me. You know what's interesting about that word follow? It means to pursue. What's he saying? Truly, goodness and mercy, because I'm a Christian, they pursue me. They come after me. The world is looking for how can we be good? How can we be kind? How can we forgive? The world's trying to pursue that. God says, no, they are going to pursue you. Why? Because that's what happens when you follow me and you dwell with me. So you're led by Jesus, and then there's mercy and goodness. Well, how, how long does that last? All the days of my life. Even the days where it feels like it's not. It's there. You just got to find it if you care. And then he says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. There was something about David who just wanted to sit with God. He's like spending time with God. I just want to dwell. He says, um, in Psalm 27, the one thing that I seek, the one thing I desire is to dwell in your house. I just want to dwell. I just want to be with you, Lord. Just, it speaks of communion. I just want to be with you, Lord. So we get a look at Psalm 23. We get a look at who he is and who we are. As the good shepherd, he was the great shepherd, and we are the sheep. We're the sheep of his pasture. We, listen, one of the challenges with teaching this one of, the, one of, the, one of the, the keys to a Bible teacher is to take, or any teacher, is to take your students from the known to the unknown. That's the goal. And that's hard when you do a chapter that everyone kind of knows. Remember, it's probably the most popular chapter. And so you go, Lord, are you sure you want to do Psalm 23? I mean, everyone knows this. It's kind of like preaching on David and Goliath. Everyone knows that, you know. It's like, no, I don't need them to learn something new. I just need them to be reminded of how much I care for them. They just keep you care in the pastoral ministry of Jesus. And I want to leave you with this. David says that I'm going to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I don't know you. I don't know most of you. I know some of you. I love some of you because I know you so well. Where do you dwell? Do you dwell just going to church? You know, I moved to Chattanooga, Tennessee. It's the most Bible-literate city in North America. So when you teach, if you make a mistake, old man Jenkins, who's been a deacon for 200 years, say, hey, you know, you kind of quoted that the wrong way, son. Thank you, old man Jenkins. 
just go back. I hope. And you realize, what do you teach? A bunch of people already know the Bible. And then you realize they're all, what they are is they're Nicodemus. Studied? How are you the teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? They know the scriptures, but they don't know the Lord that well. They can tell you the church, they were bad. My, 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 my papa, which I didn't know was a word. A pop, pop, pow, pa, pow, pa, Poppy. Here it's Papi Chulo, right? <laughs> Papa. I don't know. So you could be here and you could be just a really good Nicodemus. Know the word, but you don't live the word. You're aware of it. You study the word, but you don't find Jesus in it. I don't know. You could be the woman at the well where you go, you, you know, I just, I, I, yes, yes, you've exposed me. I don't know. But my goal for every person here this day, and our prayer was that you would come closer to the love of God because the love of God is coming closer to you, that you would know where you dwell, that you would be assured of your salvation. Jesus Christ came to save sinners. He, he, he came, he bridged the gap between sinful man and a perfect God and said, I'm just going to come back. I'm going to die on the cross. I'm going to live perfect. I'm going to be the atonement. I'm going to be the Lamb of God. The, the longest awaited question in, in, in the Bible was where was the Lamb through the whole Testament? And then they point and they go, behold, the Lamb. The Lamb is here. That Lamb sacrificed himself for you so that you could be with him. You could be his sheep and that you could dwell with him forever. I pray that you have that, that he's your shepherd and you dwell with him. Amen?